Hello, my guest today is Farah Storr. She is the award-winning editor-in-chief of the UK's Cosmopolitan magazine. She took over the brand in 2015, where she was tasked with reimagining it for millennial women across the website and Snapchat and the print and events and all sorts of other things related to the Cosmopolitan brand. She did such a good job and increased the circulation of the magazine, just like she did with Women's Health when she used to edit that magazine as well. Obviously, the October issue of Cosmo got quite a lot of attention in the news. Farah put Tess Holiday on the cover, who is a body positivity activist and also a size 24 model. So that got a lot of attention and it was celebrated really widely across the Internet. But it was also battled out on Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan. So um, I just think Farah is a really brave and brilliant editor, embracing lots of different conversations all the time. Over her 17-year career as a journalist, Farah has done everything from undercover investigations into the world of cosmetic surgery to reporting from some of the most amazing, luxurious fashion houses and fashion weeks. She's also done two TED Talks, one on getting out of your discomfort zone and one about leadership. In this episode, we actually talk about her new book, which is about discomfort. It's called The Discomfort Zone. How to Get What You Want by Living Fearlessly. And that is something that Farah really does. You can see in her work and in her life and in the kind of risks that she's always taking that she gets out of her comfort zone. So the book is really interesting. It's about how to push yourself forward and how to kind of have those brief moments of feeling like you've taken a risk and feeling out of your comfort zone, but actually all of those things kind of push you and propel you forwards. And um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed recording this episode. We recorded it at Cosmo and had a really really good chat about lots of different things and um, just had a bit of a heart to heart really so I hope you enjoy this episode and here it is so I'm very excited to be with Farah Store who I mean I met you at the Cosmo Awards which was really good evening so Thank thanks you. for including me yes no very welcome we're very happy to have you there and really excited to talk to you about your new book, The Discomfort Zone. And I'm going to get into it in a bit more detail, but just kind of in a nutshell, where did this idea come from and did it evolve out of anything that you've been thinking about for a while or how did you come to it? I think basically everything. I've always found things quite hard in life. Like I've always been a worker. I've always been a grafter. Um, but actually, the grafting, I think, for me and a lot of people I know brings meaning and, and I think, you know, it's like when you see lottery winners. It's, I always used to be interested in lottery winners. When people won the lottery, you'd always see them like six months later in the Daily Mail going, I blew it all on coke and prostitutes. And they're really miserable. And, and I do think there is something about, you know, everyone thinks I want to win the lottery. But actually, I do think human beings are designed to carry a load. Like, I, I think a certain amount of struggle it gives purpose and it gives meaning. And, and, and so that's always been my life. Ever since I was a, a little girl, I've always been like that. But then the book really came out of um, the, my two editorships. So first of all, when I launched Women's Health and then when I kind of relaunched Cosmo, mm. both two very, very different editorships and both equally difficult. First one was um, was a launch at a time when magazines were just folding. Nobody thought we would have a success. I had two members of staff. Uh, I had no money. Um, it was really, really, really hard. And, and actually, out of that hardship, though, came this product which was kind of born out of the hardship mm -hmm. so all the constraint we had the fact that we had no money forced us to think and behave in very different ways 
than I had ever done before and actually we produced a product which was very irreverent and very different. Cosmo was difficult in a, in a, in a different sense because there were certain lacks of constraint but actually the biggest constraint on Cosmo was the expectation that you take a heritage brand and, mm. and, and I think I had a lot different of people, pressures. totally different pressures, a lot of people going if you do this the readers that you have had for you know 40 years they will push back mm. and then of course I, I had a team who um, I suppose showed with their feet that they didn't they didn't believe what I was doing because you know like 80% of them resigned and yet we also made a success of that as well and so there were different pressures real pressures um, but I think both editorships would not have been a success had I waltzed in um, mm. and had it very very easy um, so yeah there's a very long-winded answer to how did the book come about. No I love it because I think well I'm generalizing here but I think that it's very easy to look at other people's success or other people's lives and just think that was an overnight thing and it was very easy. There wasn't really any struggle there. I think we make up stories in our brains about how people got to where they are. And I think, I don't know, things are glamorised online and we need to talk about the behind the scenes a bit more. Totally, because I I think you're absolutely right about people build a a narrative in their head. And actually what, what I find people think is when they see somebody who has success... I often hear a lot of younger women actually and I always say to them it's really not good to think this way guys is it's luck that she got there we say that to make ourselves feel better mm-hmm. because we think well if only we'd have we'd have got the opportunity if only if we'd have had that that bit of luck we could be in that place of course what they don't know is exactly to your point all the struggle all the graft all the work behind it but I think you're right I don't know why as a culture we kind of venerate success and we don't venerate the failures that are part and parcel of of the success Um, because I think it would be a lot more liberating to people and actually I think a lot of anxiety at the moment comes from you know people are told you can be anything you want to be and then when they don't when the world sends them a different signal which is actually you can't straight away you're going to have to work really really hard it's like the x-factor thing isn't it when they go in and Simon Cowell goes do you know what you can't sing this isn't for you and they come out devastated and yet, and yet yeah. you've still got the parents going he's wrong it's like because sometimes he says come back in two years and right. they do and they absolutely storm it right That's and I it. love um, I love what you've said in the book about how it's brief moments of discomfort it's not you know be in discomfort because that's no one wants to live for months in pain (laughs) but it's just like I think that's so true it's it's can you be brave enough just to sit in it for a little bit and then reap the rewards afterwards that's it that's it I mean and I I think I've always thought that it's like when you look back on things you know I I think it's really easy and again it I think it's the narrative like you were saying I think when we don't want to do something which is challenging we spin ourselves a, a story because of course the brain is wired for story which is it's really it's going to be really painful it's going to be really difficult well the reality and then it stops us from doing it so then we feel okay the reality is exactly most things in life are not this monolithic period of discomfort they they are punctuated by kind of three or four very brief moments but actually everything in between that mm-hmm. is quite enjoyable um and and so that i mean that, that that's kind of the the method of the book is the bmd method um which makes it sound like some sort of S and M, some sort of S and M routine. Um, but but I wanted people to understand. It's like exactly if you just think I'm telling you life is painful and you just have to deal with it. Well, there is a bit of pain in life, but actually it's minuscule, and you mm-hmm. exactly you just have to dip your toe in. Yeah, and then it will be okay. Do you think we've got so much choice now as well that it can be hard to decide? Yeah, I, I mean I, I think so, and I, and I think. Um, 
well, sometimes we actually manufacture obstacles, don't we? Because it's like, well, do you know what? That's a bit, that's a little bit. I mean, me and Emily from, you know, from memory, if she if she's there, because obviously that's not her real name. She is one of those classic people who, um, and actually she, she's an amalgam of, of, of a lot of people I know. The thing in front of them is really difficult, exactly. So it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to move sideways, and I'm going to I'm going to pursue something else. And and of course, the problem with 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 doing that in life, and you're right, there's so much choice now. You don't have to, you know. If I was coming up and being a journalist now, it would probably be much easier for me to give up at the first sign of struggle because I could go, well, I'm going to go and be an influencer, or I'm going to go and be a blogger, or I'm going to go and work for I don't know. Um, an online uh, magazine but obviously this is not to say it was better in my day because it actually wasn't I think actually it's brilliant to have the amount of choice we have now but yeah what choice does is um, it means you can just keep changing direction and and you get to a point where you've changed direction so much you are so far off the path that you originally had for yourself mm. and and that's when you look at other people isn't it and go well how come they got over there and I'm still here and it's like well because they went through the obstacle and I know so many people like that where they're like and again the, the narrative they tell themselves is well that person only got to where they did because they had luckier breaks than me the truth is they didn't have luckier breaks they went did they did the hard yards mm. whereas you kept moving you came up to an obstacle and you're like it's too hard I'm going to change and do something else now yeah. It's a really bad, really dangerous thing rather than bad thing to do because I think it's very seductive to do it. Mm. And I think you said you've done it. I've done it in my life. And I've definitely done done it in my personal life because I, I was talking to a friend about this the other day about if a relationship got hard, like a friendship, I'd basically cut cut them off. Right. And I was that person who would be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just not gonna go through this obstacle. I'm gonna cut the friendship yeah I don't do that as much now but I, I feel like that's sort of the same thing like you have to move through the problem yeah. and get to the other side yeah, and yeah, not yeah. just run away from it I mean it's interesting I've done the same with, with, with friendships you know when I when I had lots of friendships in you know in my kind of 20s same thing you'd come up against an obstacle and actually what was an easier thing to do because of course in the 20s there are loads of options there are lots of people out there you get to your 40s it's slightly different you look around there's not so many people available for friendship uh, which is a whole different subject um yeah, I've done the same thing. It's much easier to cut people off and, and look elsewhere. Um, Would you say that being in your discomfort zone is the same as being brave? Or are they different? Because I, I think you're very brave, with especially with what you put out there. I feel like you're, you share things that maybe to other people would be really scary. I mean, they are kind of the same thing, really. I mean, I suppose brave is, um, it is, what, it is what you are. And, and so actually, I would always encourage people to be brave, but brave is a consistent thing. And I think the discomfort zone is, is I'm not telling people to always be in that. I'm saying you should keep throwing yourself into it when the opportunities come. So they are, they are definitely similar. And actually, I think brave people probably don't need this book so much because actually I, I think this book is very much for people it's like come on into the discomfort zone here's where all this magic happens I think brave people go through their life and they don't even think of things as a discomfort zone they, they, they actually relish challenge you know there's mm -hmm. a lot of people in that book and when I asked them some of the people I interviewed um, you know a lot of entrepreneurs uh, gold medal willing athletes I asked them you know what problems did you have and, and they, they couldn't understand they didn't they couldn't give me an answer and it's because oh, they didn't see they problems. Saw they didn't see a challenge a as a good thing that's it they, they literally could not get, and it, all of them were the same they mm -hmm. they were like i don't think it's true i've not had any problems but maybe i relish them so those are our brave people mm -hmm. but the other thing of course emma is and and you know i don't think my family maybe are always keen on what i put out there but 
I, I do think it, if you're going to go into journalism, and I say this to all of my team, being vulnerable is what you kind of have to do as a writer. You know, that is your job. If there's one thing your job is as a journalist, it's to put, it's to open dialogue mm. and open divergent conversations. And sometimes that means putting yourself up to scrutiny from other people. But that's what makes the best writers. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't like what I put out there. But that's well, good. But there's a bit in the book about that, isn't there? Like being less, caring less about what people think. And also taking on, I like the bit, I think it's a section about having a, a friendly critic. Or is that yeah. paraphrasing? Yeah, no, 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 that's it. Or caring critic or caring coach. Yeah. I mean, yes, I mean, you know, feedback, I think, um, it's one of the most undervalued things. Because, of course, you know, the thing about feedback is nobody wants it and nobody wants to give it. So, so it works both ways, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. like, and, and, you know, there's a lady who I, I talked to in the book called Tasha Yurik, who is like a very, very, very high-level executive coach. And, and, of course, when we were talking about it, she's like, it's all evolutionary, you know? It's like you don't want to be taken out of the, you know, expurgated from the tribe. Mm. So, but I think that's why having feedback from people, and actually constant feedback is a really good thing, because I think suddenly when you get thrown a load of feedback all of a sudden and you're not expecting it, that can be quite damaging. Whereas my, you know, my idea is you should find someone, what I call, you know, a caring coach. Find someone who really understands you and understands what you do, not your family, obviously. Mm. Um, and sit down with them regularly and ask for feedback. But be re- I think the difference is, you know, feedback is not sit in a room with them and go, so how do you think I'm doing? you have to have a little bit of self-awareness so you have to so i know one of my things i used to worry about a lot was was i too harsh on people um you know at the beginning of my my career i used to worry i didn't always always temper things with you know five really nice things and you know sometimes when i'm editing i can be like it's just not good enough you need you need to redo it and and so when i used to work with my caring coach it was like this is one of the things that i'm worried about and so by pinpointing by being very very specific and most people if you were really honest with yourself you know you know deep inside you know what probably your thing Mm. is you just don't want to acknowledge it Um, and I guess that's where the bravery comes from and then that person basically it's their job to to give you the feedback and you know feedback is horrible in the beginning but but again after a while you know it's probably the first sentence kind of wins you and after that it just goes. There is no discomfort anymore. Yeah, but it's that's so really important. true. Yeah, and and that's what I love about what you're saying in the book is basically the more discomfort you have, kind of regularly, the less it's dis- the less it feels like a discomfort. Totally. Because I actually love. I think maybe you have to when you're being edited, but I I would be really gutted if someone, say, I sent a first draft for a book and it came back with just some ticks on it. I'd be like, oh my god, this is going to be terrible. This book. Like, I just think, don't we all want to grow together and make things better? I, I love being edited. Do you? But then you're brave, because some people I think will see a see a, a, a manuscript full of red marks and might be like, oh my god. I love a challenge. I think. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You have to see it as excitement. You have to, you know, I say that to my team whenever, and I still edit pretty much every single piece of copy, and it does come back covered in red pen, and we sit down and we go through it together. But it's like, and, and you can see it goes from fear. When people have never been edited by me before, they get really nervous. And now, of course, you can see, I think they see it as something else. They see it as excitement and opportunity. That that idea of when you work for something, you know, I've always found that the harder you work for it, the sweeter the reward. Alex James, do you remember from Blue, makes cheese now. Oh, yeah. 
he did a panel a couple of years ago and he said a really interesting thing which stuck with me and he said the thing about success is it always feels like you're never quite there and then Marcia said a really interesting thing which was she said success is like this tiny that's a brief moment brief moments of success she said success is so fleeting and actually most of success is the climb the grind to actually get to success and so actually you have to understand that the grind is the enjoyable bit do, do you know what I mean yeah it's the, like uh, the chase the chase it, that's it, 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 it it's yeah. um that said I do think I, I do think it's it is quite important to know the difference between what is sheer discomfort and kind of an unwinnable situation and what is challenge and, mm. and that's why I always say to people um you know I'm sure well you may not not have had you may have been very lucky but I've had jobs one in particular where I was really unhappy and actually when I look back now I was out of my depth I couldn't do the job actually it wasn't good enough um although I tried to tell myself that wasn't the reason but I wasn't I just wasn't good enough for this job but it was also it became a very very difficult environment for me you know those environments where it changes the color of everything you leave work and oh, everything yeah. is black you, yeah you can't see a way out it is important to ha- to know what that feels like because actually you need to be able to compare and also you need to get out but I think some people don't know the difference between what is you go into work and go god this is going to be a really hard day mm. and actually this is just a bad fit that this doesn't work for me so I always say yeah. to people when they've had a bad job hang on to it because it's really important you know the difference between the two that's so true because you've you split them out in, in here as well with with bullet points of the yeah. slog and then the grind grind yeah because I I think there's a lot at the moment out there about you know like unpaid internships yeah. and and how we're moving on now from treating interns badly and kind of just being like well you have to muck in and you have to do the slog and that's what I did and all that stuff and and I feel torn sometimes because even though I don't believe in unpaid internships I do remember my first job that I hated you know really getting on your hands and knees and like the laborious kind of tasks that were so awful and like I think that made me appreciate my life now I suppose it depends on the environment doesn't it because I'm with you I I mean we don't do unpaid internships thank god because also there's a as you know there is a problem with that because you only get the same sort of people coming in and it's a real problem yeah I mean we are we are you know we do Cosmo houses now so that we can get different sorts of people through the doors because internships are only particularly in the media I mean and there's nothing I always say this there's nothing wrong with middle-class kids at all but it does seem that there is a dearth of diversity mm. because nobody can afford to do these bloody unpaid internships and and they go on yeah. I don't think they do so much anymore but in my time they went on for years mm. I mean I worked at um I worked a night job and did, did interning and I was I was exhausted I could I could kind of do it for about a year um but you're right I think you do have to do a bit of the hard yards but I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I was saying to someone recently, talking about flat structures in, in corporations, and actually I do believe in a, in, in a hierarchy. However, you just because you're at the top doesn't mean people have to do what you say. You have to, as a boss, I have to prove myself every single day to my team that I am the boss. So that's why I still edit every single piece of copy. It's why I'll still actually go and, and muck out or I'll still go and see all the clothes for the fashion shoots. I'm still the person at like 6am in, in, you know, on the train in the morning stood up reading every single proof. Mm-hmm. You actually have a duty to prove to people that you do work as hard as them. I've gone completely off topic now. But but I, I do agree in that you need to have a little bit of, you need to know what it's like to do the graft 
but I don't think that ever ends. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it sh- I don't think it should ever end because I yeah. think you have to show the people beneath you that you work just as hard because I think it is easy to look above and go, people at the top, they're just sat there with a cigar in the, in, in the mouth with their feet upon the table. And actually the reality, well, I don't know. The reality, my experience of people at the top is not everybody wants to be at the top because it's really lonely. You work long, long hours. You know, not mm. everybody wants that for their life. Um, it's not the kindest place at the top, but and and and, and at the out, I think you're still you're not slogging, you're grinding away at the top. So it doesn't. I mean, I'm being very inarticulate here, but it doesn't ever end. And it prepares you then, in a way. Exactly. Because if you're starting you. early with the slog and the grind. <laughs> It's going to continue. That's it. It doesn't yeah. ever end. So the very best that you can hope for is, well, actually, if I enjoy, and this is why you have to choose a career you love, if most of life is kind of grinding away, working at something, and of course, grind. The good thing is you're moving. You you know, slog is like you're literally there's no momentum, and that that is that really kills kills you. But yeah, it doesn't really end. So you have to know very early on what it feels like and get comfortable with it. Mm. Um, Do you think there's any age or stage where you can just take your foot off the pedal though I, I mean my feeling is that that human beings so it's like when people retire and they retire and they're like this is it now and then they take up gardening and gardening so I'm now obsessed with gardening gardening is grind gardening is going out there every day watering your plants getting rid of weeds getting calling the mole person in to sort out the mole look it, it is grind and again but it changes, so you see yeah. these things blossoming around you, and so I always find it interesting. So when someone goes, oh, "I'm going to retire, I'm going to put my feet up," and then and, you know a lot of old people get obsessed with gardening, it goes back to it gives them meaning. They're working on it's yeah. personal projects, yeah. isn't it? There's a lot of you know research on that. Personal projects give meanings to life. So mm-hmm. I think grind is just part of human existence, and and actually. Would anybody really look at the lottery winners? If you had all the money in the world and you actually got to put your feet up, I really, I really like. Want to put your feet up? No, <laughs> no. I actually feel like this book has made me feel better about the fact that I like the grind. I like working hard, and I think I've always been worried that people would be like, "Oh, she's such a workaholic. Why can't she just right. stop?" And I do feel that judgment sometimes. Yeah, and 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 you know what, Emma? I feel the same. I think some people think, particularly because I don't have kids and I'm of a certain age, it's like, well, all she's got in her life is work. But but actually, the work... I mean, also, I think we're looking that we do love what we do, mm. so I think it'd be... I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking on your behalf. So well, it's a massive part of my life that I love. That's it, and so it yeah. is part of your life, it is part of who you are. Because um, I was thinking about the work-life balance phrase, and I, it, and I don't get it, because my work... Is my life, but then that makes me sound sad. But why? Why does it have to? Because well, I, I love it, it. It's different, isn't it? It's like when you think of my, when people go, "My work is my life," and, and say they're like a corporate lawyer working till four in the morning. Mm. When I look at that, and I know a lot of corporate lawyers who are not happy, that it's like you need yeah. the work-life balance. Yeah. But but I think, and, and I'm here just with my microphone interviewing people. Like well, <laughs> my and, job isn't exactly. And mine is the same as you. You know, I yeah. get to. You know, our jobs are brilliant because you get to you get to meet interesting people from all walks of life and you get to ask them really nosy questions mm. so I hate small talk I'm terrible at it so journalism is brilliant because you get to meet someone and go so how did you feel when you found out your partner was having an affair do you know what I mean so you get yeah. straight to human nature what makes people tick their frailties that's why you know the creative industries I feel so um, I feel a bit heartbroken about them because I think a lot of people are told there's no money 
don't go into it as I was told actually um, mm. but you become very rich in experience and and you know you're never going to be rich even when you're an editor you're never going to be really rich but you are going to be rich in 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 understanding what makes other people tick and yeah and, and experience yeah. I've gone off topic again haven't I no I, this <laughs> is this is the best thing about the podcast is it is just a chat okay I love it um with what you were saying about how sometimes and I've had those jobs where you hate it so much so when you go home it's just everything's like clouded and it is overcast and it's all you can think about how do you switch off now do do you have a strategy of just kind of I'm at home with my husband or I'm on holiday do you not think about work can you switch off from it me personally uh well do you know what for a very long time no so every holiday I mean it is interesting so 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 my husband is a writer as well and again, I guess this comes to choosing a career or a job that you love. And, and when I say a career, I could get fired tomorrow. But 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 at my heart, I'm I'm a writer. That's what I love doing. Um, so whenever we go on holiday, what we do, which is, you know, again, people might go, "You've got no work-life balance." Um, we get up in the morning and we write. So it might be a feature for someone, or it might just be a diary, like an. A, and then in the afternoon we can relax. It's so entrenched into our lives. Mm. So I would say so that sounds like the most dreamy holiday to me. Well, for me, yeah, you know, the dog yeah. is just running around and we're just writing, and and and, and that's enough for us. But um, do I switch off? Well, do you know what? This year, um, I, ha- I a friend of mine um, was retraining um, to be like a life coach, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I believe in all this. But she was like, Look, let me just do a few sessions with you. And it, she was really interesting. She did this kind of I don't know chart of doom I used to call it where she where she'd look at you know um what you enjoyed doing what you had a lot of in your life what you didn't have a lot of in your life and mine was really interesting because the work thing was off the scale in terms of it filled my life but also it brought me a huge amount of happiness um and the the bit which was empty was um friendship was completely empty and but then the other bit which was empty was hobbies personal life so she was Mm. like okay so look at this she went what do you think about this? And I was like, well, I said, people may look at that and go, God, what a tragic individual. I said, but, I said, well, no, actually, she said to me, what What do you get your energy from? What do you, what, you know, kind of wakes you up? And I said, do you know what makes, kind of, I get my energy from? I said, he's being alone. I said, I, I love solitude. I said, that, that's the happiest thing for me. I said, I don't need lots of friends. In fact, I'm not very good in, in, in big rooms with, with lots of people. Um, She's like, okay, well, is there a hobby where it's solitude? And it's also, you know, she, she was like, your personality type is you like, you like to work, you like um, forward motion. And I was like, well, do you know what? I've, I've, I've got obsessed with gardening. And, and, and so interestingly, that's why gardening, again, you know, a lot of people think gardening is, it, it, it's, um, well, it's very hard work. It's, it's relentless, actually. It is relentless. I go out at, like, six in the morning and, and I'm weeding until sometimes eight in the evening. It's oh um, very good exercise, is it? Well, I would hope so, but uh, <laughs> I wear elasticated pants and I eat a lot of cake. That, that's the thing about gardening. You eat a lot of cake as well. Um, but I, is that work-life balance? Don't know. I, I think the gardening has been very, very good for me mentally. Mm. Um, and it's kind of whatever works for for you because I I feel really inspired at the moment by 
not trying to change yourself all the time. You know the whole new me, new year, January thing? Right. And you always write down all the things that you don't have. Yeah. And I just think, well, what if you don't need to change? What if a lot of what you're doing is actually what you like doing? New Year, better you. Or not even, could be oh, like, new, like new, new Year, year just you. Same you. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I've been guilty. All those cover lines used to really sell, New Year, New You. Actually, I, do you know, I don't think I did ever put one on women's health. I don't think I did because I thought they were just a bit... I mean, it is a nice time to try and, and improve yourself. But I, I just think sometimes if you know what you like, if it ain't broke... No. Just... You don't have to go to the party if you don't want to go to the party, you know, whatever but, you decide. But then, does that whole improvement thing, the whole notion of, well, I can work towards being my best me, does that channel into something very deep within us, which goes back to the personal project? You know, how people are like, well, I want to work on myself, I want to be kinder, or I want to be slimmer, yes, I want to... Yes. So, so actually, those New Year, New You, whilst I totally agree with you, it's interesting that they sell. So, you know, mm. you see New Year, New You, and there's a reason why those are on magazines, I, mean, I don't think they are anymore, but about 10 years ago, it's because they sold. And so um, I think there is something very deep within us, which is which goes back to the projects, which is yeah. like, actually, I want to grind. I want to grind away at who I can be. How can I be my, a better me? Whereas I'm kind of I'm kind of torn, actually. I, I think you have to accept, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost 40. I'm probably, am I going to change much? I, I think probably I am pretty set in, in a lot mm. of my ways and I think now what I do more than thinking the new me at 50 is going to be this I think now I'm much more aware of my weaknesses and my um, I was saying to you earlier my my capacity to um, to fail I understand my failings very well which I don't mm. think in my 20s and 30s mm. I, I did I, mean, I, I think th- it's really refreshing hearing someone say you know this is going well but I don't have this or I think people are always trying to show their best self all the time yeah and it's actually really refreshing hearing someone say actually maybe this part of my life isn't perfect but you know I know I know it's not that's it and it is what it is and 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 it's it's enough for me I mean it's like when when me and my husband decided not to have kids I think a lot of people were like it's a shame about Farah because you know she got so much but she is missing this big piece Mm -hmm. and and it's like I said to you it's like you can kind of have it all ish and that's enough that that should be enough and and you know I said to you you don't get to have it all you you don't you really have nothing if you think you're going to get it all it's like when you're a kid you don't get to go to the ballet class and get to go to Jemima's birthday party you have choices to make Mm -hmm. and and something's going to go but you're going to get something else in return and it's naive to think that, that you can have everything and also why would you want to because you can't do anything properly and and so for me I work very hard I've always had to work very hard I don't think I am a naturally um, I've never naturally been a, um, a very bright student but I did really well at my grades because I worked really hard I don't think I'm I'm probably naturally a good editor now but that's years and years and years of grinding away figuring out what makes a good editor so I've always worked very hard at things and so you know, and my marriage, you know, I work really hard at my marriage because I think that's another thing. I think people think um, mm-hmm. once you're on contract, you know, it's all fine. It's like you have to work at things. And so for me, having a big career and having, um, you know, my partner, Will, was my best friend for years. It's a very special marriage. Um, I didn't know that if I, I could have kids as well. I just didn't didn't know if I personally, A, wanted it all, but more importantly, actually, Emma, whether I could do it all, I didn't mm. think I could. You know, sometimes having it all looks a lot like doing it all to me. And yeah. I, I, I didn't feel I, I, I'm capable to have a big career, have a really happy marriage. 
and to bring up a family for me and that's mm. knowing your weaknesses that's knowing what you can't do and I yeah. didn't think I could do it yeah no I I mean it make it makes sense I think I, I'm obviously coming up to an age where I need to start thinking about that stuff right. or at least that's what society sort of tells you to start, thinking, you start about. thinking about it. yeah I'm starting to think about it but having really frank conversations about what's doable yeah because I don't I'm just not that type of person to just go along with something as you can tell from like my career decisions I'm just yeah. like no I'm gonna weigh up my options and right. do, it, do it my way type thing that's it and and maybe you know we have the same conversations you know you're because you're 29 now I was 36 when I started thinking about kids and the thing about starting to think about kids when you're later in life is you you're you got a little not a lot you got a little bit of money by then and so you start and, and your career is usually on the ascent mm. and so thinking about it and weighing up all the options is absolutely the right thing to do and and that's where the choice comes in it's like well I've worked really hard for all of this because this is one of the things you know whenever ever I talk about the pay gap mm. the motherhood gap is the massive thing it's a massive problem mm. like it really is and and that's the thing is like actually I think I may be incorrect here but actually the pay gap is not so crazy when um when men and women come straight out of university it's when they get to their mid-30s and that is because of kids yeah and and, and so I, I was like money's quite important to me having a nice life with nice things is important and so I we, you know me and Will did a lot of weighing up and so I was like I was the main I earned more than Will um when we started thinking about kids it was like okay well who's going to give up their career then yeah and, and you may have that with your partner I don't know and physically you are going to be the one that needs to take some time out even if you don't take you know a long time out you have to take some time out yeah you but are. I think it's a really really important conversation because I think there's a difference between not being able to have them and I think that's a really sensitive topic but what I am talking about and what I talk about with my friends is like not wanting to have them yeah childless which by is choice. just which is just a yeah, choice um it. but it still feels really icky to say out loud well it's hard isn't it because and I always say I feel very lucky in that I did it so it didn't happen for me um I mean we half-heartedly try I always say you know I remember Will showing me the fertility monitor going it's got dust on it Farah he's like that is not a good sign and and you know I when I was younger I had um very bad eating disorder so there was always so I didn't have periods for years so there was always a part of me which even when I was a young girl I thought I'm never gonna have to have children and interesting mm. my mum said she goes you know why I think you're okay with the fact that you don't have a family because you always knew it probably mm. wasn't going to happen so it it didn't happen for us but we didn't really try and then we did go down the route of IVF but it was when we got to the point of IVF because I'm I mean I may not have got pregnant with IVF you know you know it, it can be very difficult but that's the point where we withdrew and we're like, this isn't quite right for mm. us. You know, this this isn't the right thing for us to do. But I do think that I'm lucky, and I said this to Will recently, that I don't have the urge because there are some women, and I, I feel so much for them, where it's all they want. And, and you know, they're, 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 they're... I mean, a friend of mine recently, she went, I didn't think this would be me, but my body has just taken mm. over and it's crying out for, for a child. And I feel so lucky that I don't have that because if you had that and you couldn't have them, I mean, you know, yeah. and that is, and, and you know, that's a very, exactly to your point, it's very different to what we're talking about. 
So sometimes, yeah. you know, I mean, I often people say, oh, God, you know, there are women who would love children and you've chosen not to. It's a totally different mm. conversation. Totally. Yeah. It's really great that you, you talk about these things openly, though, as well. I, I mean, because there, there are different types of women, aren't there? It's yeah. like probably on the, you know, if you're slightly more, I mean, again, probably get in trouble for this, but it's like, I would say my characteristics are probably slightly more masculine in that, you know, I'm quite... Um, I can be quite domineering. I can be um, in meetings. You know, I'm. I'm. Um, when I say this, I'm generalising now about being slightly less feminine. But, but my style is probably slightly more like, like a man's. You know, I'm. I'm not kind of hugely. Well, I'm hugely emotional at home, but at work, I try and keep my emotions in check. Which that's not to say it's right. I do always say to people, cry in the office. It's totally okay to cry in the office. But that's the good thing about, I think, hopefully, Cosmo, is that it's accepting that women, there are different types of women. All women are not the yeah, same. Yeah. And as long as you can all go, do you know what, Emma, you you don't think about kids all the time. That's all right, too. I, I think I think the thing yeah. is, is where you, you get demonised. You know, I've yeah. had a lot of people say, well, you're, you're just not, not like most women. And it's like, but what's wrong with that? Yeah. Do, do and how I mean? can we all be lumped in together? People, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? And that's my big thing that I always rant about is about groups. If you see people as a group, there starts to become problems because within a group, you know, it's, it's like, do you remember when you used to be at sport, you know, you used to have gym class and the teacher would suddenly divide you into two groups. They go, that's team A, team B, and they, they'd chuck you onto each team and your friend would be on the opposing team. And suddenly, the minute that your friend was on the opposing group, you fail to see them as an individual. Mm. They just became the enemy. They just yeah. became this big amorphous mass, a bit like footballs, football teams. It's a really dangerous thing to do. And, and and I think, you know, you see that in culture now at the moment, is yeah. people just fighting for their group and failing to see the individuals in the other group. Yeah. It's, I, I, I find that when sort of other women, maybe a lot younger women, for example, when I interviewed Lena Dunham on this podcast, I got loads of um, really horrible messages from young women who don't like her for some reason and I just thought god she's not the enemy and I'm not the enemy like we're we're actually all fighting towards exactly the same thing but we're all just we've maybe made mistakes or we've said things you know agree with but gen in general we're not enemies we all want the same thing we just all go about it in a slightly different way that that's the thing I mean I said this to someone recently about the sisterhood I was like I mean you know, it, it's a bit like, I, I see this sometimes and I try and call it out, it doesn't always go down very well, but, and this is not to demonise women in any way, but, you know, like at school, if you were in the group, life was good, but if you were out, if you didn't agree, mm. and you are outside of the group, oh, life yeah. was terrible, and I think we have to be really careful about that, about, you know, people have totally different experiences, and, and you know, I see it on social media and, and people just agreeing. And you, and there are certain people who will agree with things on social media and I know they don't believe yeah. that, but they want to be in the fold God. where it's nice and warm yeah. and comfortable. And the uncomfortable stuff, um, see what I did there, I'm trying to bring it back to my book, uh, very inarticulately. But the uncomfortable thing is to be outside the group. And actually that's what true heroes are, isn't it? That the true heroes are people, they're not usually that popular, but they believe in something and they go after it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I sometimes think the more horrific something is that someone says and this maybe this is the journalist in me you should want to understand what is behind that like why have they got these thought patterns and values that should actually be an instigator for you to go i need to investigate this that's like a moment of discomfort isn't it having a conversation with someone with someone who's 
totally got a different opinion absolutely. to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And both people, ultimately, they may not, will get something out of it. And again, that's uncomfortable because you may have a, a conversation with somebody who you do not agree with. You walk away and you... you. I mean, isn't there... There's a very famous advert, the Heineken advert. I don't know if you've seen it. it it's, it's so brilliant. You know, it's two people... They put two people together and they have to, I think they have to erect something from Ikea, which everyone knows ends up in, in, oh in, in punches. Yeah. And they put two random strangers together and um, at, the end of the, at the end of the erecting the table or whatever, they then show them a video um, of the person they've just spent an hour with creating this table. And, you know, one of the people might go, I think women are silly, you know, women shouldn't be in the workplace. And then the person that they've chosen to write the table with is someone who's like a, you know, she works, she's in the army, she's very, very high up in the army. And then at the end, they get, they go, now you know what this person's like, i.e. now they are fundamentally different to you. Yeah. Do you want to go for a Heineken? And all of them, oh, of course, that. go, yeah. And and, and it, it, it's such a, br- I mean, it's award winning, really but it's clever, isn't it? Because, yeah. because they're a human. They're in a front human, of them. that's it, and there's not probably something. Thing. Yes, that's yeah. it. I mean, I saw your Twitter thing the other day. There's something about oh, Instagram's a far nicer thing. place than Oh, here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just think you could say, I love David Attenborough, and someone would tell you that. Like, that, you can't say anything without... No. Um, but just lastly, because, sorry, I could talk to you for, for hours and hours and hours. Um, what are you kind of hoping people take away from the book with, you know, the events you do, the articles around it kind of... Yeah. Yeah, what do you hope people take away from it? I think the, the, the main message of the book is... I mean, the book is a very practical book, but, but, but actually I think the main message is, is that life is tough. But, but the wonderful thing is that you are tougher. I mean, the human body and mind is designed to withstand challenge. And I think it goes back to what we're saying. It's like, you know, it puts the fear of God into me when I... You know, when the book is coming out, it's going to be university time. People join universities, mm-hmm. and we, you know, you read about this this thing about safe spaces where people, if they hear something they don't agree with, they can retreat and go into a safe space. And and, and my my whole feeling is, you shouldn't protect yourself from the things that scare you because actually that's completely what what opens you up. And you'll be amazed at how strong you are, if only you are strong enough, ironically enough, to open yourself up to to discomfort. And, and so I think, particularly with what culture is going through at the moment, um, you know, step into the discomfort zone because you'll find out so much about yourself but also about other people by, by doing it. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, uh, hopefully the, the book is, is really a career book. It's for people who want to get more out of their career. Yeah. But on, on a bigger level, it's about look at the world around you. Don't hide yourself in your own social media bubble. Go out there, talk to people you don't agree with. Be challenged by the world. Um, because the you know the world is challenging but you're made for that yeah i love that that is a great note to end on great thank, thank you, you very so much. so much no 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 you're very welcome thank you